The Wednesday before last, my son Joel got his learner's driver's licence. He passed the online written test and so he went to the motor registry to get his permit. Sitting in the Queensland Transport Office waiting for our ticket number to be called, Joel could hardly sit still. He was talkative, he was fidgety, he was impatient, excited and a little anxious. But as we headed back to the car park, his anxiety quickly became mine. <laughs> There's something about your child being in control of a motor car that is anxiety producing. Something about their foot being on the accelerator that helps accelerate your own ageing process. Suddenly his sweaty palms became my sweaty palms. My breathing got faster as we headed into roundabouts. My heart almost burst through my chest, changing lanes without checking a blind spot. I've resisted grabbing the wheel a few times, but it's been close on a few close calls. Now, Joel wants me to tell you he's doing a really great job. <laughs> and he really is. But while learning to drive a car isn't easy, becoming anxious can happen very quickly. Whenever we sense danger or discomfort, confronted by a stressful situation or event, the information that is received through our senses is sent to our brain's amygdala for interpretation. The amygdala perceives danger. It sends distress signals to the hypothalamus. The hypothalamus functions like a command centre telling the rest of the body what it should do, which is where you've heard the term before, fight, flight or freeze. When this response is triggered by the brain, the body produces adrenaline throughout the entire bloodstream. Adrenaline creates a sudden burst of energy throughout the entire body. Our hearts beat faster, our breathing intensifies, our focus sharpens. We hear things more clearly. We smell almost everything. All these changes happen so quickly for us that we aren't even aware that they've happened. Anxiety, it's all right, I'm just going to wait. No, that's great. No, that's, that's almost a perfect illustration, isn't it? Thank you, Rowena. Anxiety is produced by fear and its focus is orientated towards the future. Anxiety is a mental and physical reaction to perceived threats. It is a reaction to perceived threats. And so in small doses, anxiety is helpful for us. It protects us from danger. It focuses our attention. But when anxiety is too severe, when it happens too often, it can become debilitating. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus commands us, do not be anxious, which sounds as fantastic as it does impossible. How do you do that? How do you live free of anxiety? Well, Jesus says it's all a matter of your perspective. It all depends on where you set your focus. We're in our teaching series on Jesus' teaching in a series called We Are Salt Church. And Jesus is teaching the crowds, those who've come to him to be healed by him, about what it means to be his disciples, what it means to follow him, what it means to live for Jesus, how to live as salt and light for kingdom impact. Having just commanded his listeners, do not store up treasures for yourselves on earth, Jesus now makes another commandment. I want you to see it in verse 25. 
Got your Bible there? Verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Jesus says, don't be anxious. When it comes to future planning, when it comes to considering perceived threats, when we weigh up all the what-ifs, along with the maybes that would, should and could go wrong, Jesus says, don't be anxious. But this isn't simply good advice from a laid-back, chilled-out Galilean rabbi. This isn't a, oh, don't worry about it. And it's not a, yeah, whatever. And it's not a, okay, fine. It's not, here's a little song I wrote, you might want to sing it note by note, don't worry, be happy. It's not that, that's not it. It's a command an imperative, a non-negotiable. Jesus says, do not be anxious about your life. Because this is what it means to be his disciple. This is how we are to live as Christ's followers. Here's how we live differently from everybody else. Living as salt and light for the kingdom impact means not being anxious about everything. It's not simply a helpful suggestion. It's not just good advice. It's not, here's a catchy tune. This is a command from the commander himself. Don't be anxious. Being anxious and having anxiety means being concerned and apprehensive. It's about our perception, what we perceive to be a potential threat to our survival. The word anxious itself appears six times just in this little passage and is understood to mean mental anxiety or worry. But it also means to strive after something. Striving after our own needs can lead us towards anxiety. It's the anxiety that drives us, the self-centred effort to supply all of our own needs. Some of our translations, our English translations say, don't be anxious. Other translations say, don't worry. Either way, don't get hung up about it because Jesus says, don't do it. But how do you not worry about life? Put your hand up here if you're not worried about anything. We live in, an increasingly, in the increasing age of anxiety. Australia is an increasingly dangerous place to live. Just about everything here is a potential threat. Almost anything here can kill you. Not to mention interest rates at 3.35%, the growing rate of inflation at 7.8%, along with the overall increased cost of living and people generally being greedy capitalists. You know, it's easy for a homeless guy in Sandals who lived over 2,000 millennia ago to say, don't worry about your life. But Jesus never had to pay school fees or defer a mortgage mortgage repayment. But before we all work ourselves up into a tiz, Jesus says it's time for us to consider. Look there, verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Of course, the answer is yes. It's one of the great ironies for me personally that in a passage about not being anxious, Jesus' first illustration is about birds. (laughs) For me, birds are not something to consider. Birds are absolutely terrifying. 
And although I wish he'd stop it immediately, the point here is that God feeds the birds. God the creator cares for his creation. He sustains all that he's made. More valuable to God than the birds are we. Obviously. Birds don't store up treasure for themselves. They're not working, saving or striving for survival. God provides for them. God feeds them. Here's the point. So don't worry about food. God will feed you as well. Of course, we worry about food differently, don't we, to what people did in the first century Palestine. We're more concerned with, is it sustainable and ethical? Does it contain gluten, lactose, sugar or nuts? What's the calorie count? When was the used-by date? How long has it been left out of the fridge for? Why is it starting to smell funny? With refrigerators, pantries and grocery stores, restaurants, drive-thrus, takeaways and Uber Eats, we're not wondering about where our next meal is coming from. We've just got to make a decision about it, don't we? According to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, food is a primal need for us. The most basic level of human existence, at its most basic level, we need food and we need clothing in order to survive. We work to put food on, our, on the tables. We work to put clothes on our backs. Jesus says, don't be anxious about your life. Besides, anxiety doesn't add value. Look there, verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Whether the term here means hour or height, it doesn't matter because it adds nothing anyway. Don't worry, being worried is pointless, it's unproductive, anxiety doesn't achieve or accomplish anything. But we spend so much of our lives worrying about the things in our lives. And yet we're more valuable than the birds and we're just as dependent on God as they are. You see, anxiety doesn't add to your life if anything, it's been found to have shortened it. It's the same when it comes to clothing. Instead of worrying about what we wear, Jesus says, let's consider again, verse 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arranged like one of these. It's God the creator who covers the fields with flowers. Wild flowers in their spectacular colours. Think about it for a moment, says Jesus. Flowers don't labour out in the field all day. They're not punching in and logging off. They don't spin the sewing wheel to make coverings or keep everything spinning in order to cover costs. We heard earlier about Solomon's splendour, how Solomon covered himself in glory and gold. But Jesus says it's no contest. Solomon, the golden boy from the golden age, looks drab compared to the garb of the fields. So why are you worrying about clothing when God's got you covered? Now, some of us would like it if others of us worried a little bit more about what they were wearing. It's good that some things remain a mystery, friends. Not everything needs to be revealed all at once. <laughs> Especially when you're at the gym or the beach or the shops. And yet there we all are at the shopping centre, wandering around these enormous complexes, making life more complicated for ourselves and suffering from decision fatigue. 
worrying about what clothing we'll buy, anxious about where we're going to eat for lunch, stocking up the pantry treasures from Woolworths, buying end-of-season sale clothing for next summer. This is not how disciples of Jesus are meant to live. We're not meant to be worrying ourselves to death, working out what we're going to eat and what we're going to wear. Oh, you of little faith is not a statement about the absence of any faith in God, but the deficiency of our faith and where it is focused. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Set your sights on the kingdom that is still to come. Now, just to be very clear with all of you, I'm not saying don't go to the shopping centre. And I wasn't saying last week, don't get insurance policy for your possessions. What I'm saying here is, no, more importantly, what Jesus is saying here is, don't strive after these things. Don't live like everybody else does. Don't be anxious about your life. Christ followers need to live differently from everybody else. Salt and light is meant to have an impact. Your life is precious and valuable to God. We are salt, church. We don't strive after the same things. We don't store up treasures on earth. We don't worry about all of that stuff. Look there with me, verse 31. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Leave it for the pagans, says Jesus. Let the Gentiles worry about this kind of stuff Our Father knows all your needs and our God has promised to provide them. Will you trust him? You don't have to worry. You don't have to be anxious. Have faith that God will provide. Trust him. A sufficient faith, not a deficient focus. Besides, anxiety produces nothing and it gets you nowhere. It adds no value to your life. But your heavenly father values your life. You see, friends, the alternative to living a life focused on the kingdom of God, the alternative to laying up treasures in heaven and always looking towards the kingdom is a life that is filled with anxiety. Always striving for material goods, the material goods of this world. A faith deficient in kingdom orientation, it's a misalignment of our heart's treasures. A life without God is a life without hope. And hopelessness leads to a profound anxiety about our survival. It is a heart that hoards rather than a heart that shares. So what's it going to be? A life that strives for the survival of self or a life that seeks God and his kingdom first. You choose. But before we move on to verse 33, the well-known verse about seeking first the kingdom of God, I just want to slow things down a little bit here and take all of us back for a moment to verse 32. When it comes to the anxious life of the Gentiles, who worry about food and clothing and drink, The Greek word for seek is zeteo, as in seek and you will find, zeteo. 
My memory hook for this word when I was at Bible college was, Zer are you? Zerteo. I seek. I search. The ESV, if you've got one, says they seek after these things, the Gentiles. The NIV says the Gentiles run after these things. The NRSV says they strive for all these things. The New Living Translation says they dominate their thoughts. Whatever translation of verse 32 is that you like the most, the root word, the same root word, zeteo, is used in verse 33. And if all that sounds just a little bit too Bible nerdy for you, then here's the point I'm wanting to make. Just as the Gentiles seek zeteo after the things of this world with a strong desire and a serious interest, so we need to seek zeteo, the kingdom of God with the same intensity, same interest and same desire. Seek first God's kingdom as though your life depends on it because it does. As a matter of survival, because that's what it is. Seek, see it there now with me, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first God's kingdom means God's kingdom has prominent place within our lives. God's kingdom comes first in Everything, it is second to no one and to nothing else. First and foremost in our mind and in our hearts, most important in all of our priorities and all of our desires, most prominent focus of our lives and central in every decision that we make. The kingdom isn't something that we just sit around and wait for. It's not something that we just wait in expectation of. We must seek after it. We must run after the kingdom. We must strive for it. God's kingdom must dominate our thoughts. Looking for it. Looking towards it. Seeking first God's kingdom. When we seek first the kingdom of God, we live out of our values and out of our convictions instead of living out of anxiety, seeking our base needs and our desires. We start living for priority from priority rather than out of necessity when we seek first God's kingdom because seeking first the kingdom is a conviction, not a convenience. C.S. Lewis put it this way. Put first things first and we get second things thrown in. Put second things first and we lose both first and second things. Put God's kingdom first and you don't need to worry about anything else. Isn't that what this passage is saying? Chapter 6, verse 33. And all these things will be added to you. Chapter 6, verse 32, your heavenly Father knows you need them. Chapter 5, verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. But when you seek your needs first, instead of seeking first the kingdom of God, when you live like the Gentiles and not as salt and light, you lose both the first and second things. We spend so much time being anxious. We lay awake at night worrying about things. We spend so much time worrying about what's next. Worrying about our job. Anxious about what's happening. Worrying about our relationship. 
anxious about what isn't happening anymore. Worrying about the kids, anxious about what's going on for them, particularly when they learn to drive. Worrying about the mortgage, anxious about making ends meet each month. Worrying about our health, anxious about what the doctors might say. Worrying about church, anxiety multiplied by 150 other anxious people who meet with you. Worrying about other things and what others think, anxious for the approval and the acceptance of others. But Jesus says, don't worry. Don't worry about your life. Seek first the kingdom of God. And if we're going to do that, friends, then it's going to require another paradigm shift for us. There's another heart movement that needs to take place here, and that is moving from anxious striving to seeking the kingdom. Moving from anxious striving to seeking the kingdom because that's how we live differently. Here's how we live as salt and light for kingdom impact. Not anxiously striving like the Gentiles do, but seeking God's kingdom. That's what it means to be Christ followers. So let's take a few moments And work out here what it is that's most important for you. What's your priority? What, who comes first? Are you living out of conviction or out of convenience and necessity? If you're seeking first the kingdom of God, what's the next thing that you now need to do? Page 26, there's a little action step box. Let's take a moment to fill it in. As a result of this passage, the one thing I need to do now is... Let's take a moment. I heard an interesting statistic during the week that when we hear something, when we just hear it and listen to something, our retention rate, what we remember, is between 10 to 12%. But if we tell somebody else about it, that jumps from 12% to 60 to 80%. So now that you've written down what you're going to do, I want you to turn to somebody else and tell them what's the next thing that you need to do. This is where you talk. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, Jesus says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, and does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Let's not just be people who hear God's word, let's be doers as well. Let's pray. Now, Father, we want to pray that you would calm our anxious fears. As our hearts are so filled with them, Anxiety consumes us, but we want you to consume us more. And so we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would calm our hearts, that we would surrender control of our life to you. And in so doing, we would align our hearts with you and your kingdom, that we might live differently from the people around us, that we might live as salt and light for kingdom impact not just hearers of your word, but doers. 
people who hear your word and put it into practice. Help us to be like wise men who build our house upon the rock. So whatever it is, our next step that we've written down and shared with somebody else, would you give us the courage now of our convictions to put these things into place? And would you continue to change us and to shape us as a community of people loved by you, more precious than the birds, more glorious than the flowers of the field, to trust you and to rely upon you for all the things that we need. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.